Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This Being Human. I'm your host, Abdurrahman Malik. On this podcast, I talk to extraordinary people from all over the world whose life, ideas, and art are shaped by Muslim culture. I don't believe in history that much, but I love it. In the end, I don't care really if this really happened or not. The issue is that it became part of human belief. A running theme in Wild Shoki's work is how history is shaped by the people who tell it, that we choose to interpret the past in a way that suits us at the moment. Much of his work involves revisiting historical events and retelling them, playing with that line between history and myth. The work takes many forms, sculpture, video, paintings, but one of the things that's so immediately striking is his use of puppetry. He makes these epic videos populated with haunting marionettes. His work spans cultures and continents. Cabaret Crusades tells the story of the Crusades from an Arab perspective. More recently, his video, I Am Hymns of the New Temple, set in Pompeii, explores creation myths in the town that was famously destroyed by a volcanic eruption 2,000 years ago. Wiles' work has been shown around the world and has won awards including the Sharjah Biennial Prize, the Grand Prize for the Alexandria Biennial, and Louis Vuitton's award for the Filmic Oeuvre. Wiles Shoki joined me recently on a call from his studio in Alexandria, Egypt. He was bursting with energy, ideas, stories, and some nerves. Very tense, very tense, yes. I'm preparing for Venice Biennial, so this is very uh, tough. At the same time, the political situation is a disaster, as we can see. And it's really, you, you cannot avoid it every day. I mean, you've been in some of the most influential artistic spaces in the world. Your work, your process, your your method has been celebrated, has been highlighted as something so singularly unique. And you walk into these spaces as an Egyptian, as a Muslim, as an Arab, as someone who (laughs) who is between cultures. I mean, how do you see yourself in those spaces? And how much does the burden of your multiple identities weigh on not only your work, but but how you represent yourself and your work in these incredible international spaces. Yeah, that's really interesting because also the issue that, okay, most of the countries that we came from as an Arab Muslim and all of this, okay, most of this, uh, we know that uh, we are suffering lack of democracy. We are suffering lack of uh, human rights and free speech, everything. So, the expectation 
that with all these platforms that I am getting invited to in Europe and in America and all over the world, these are the platforms that will host all these different, uh, that is reality. And in the culture, I think we are protected in the culture field. We are protected. So we usually don't experience this uh, tense racism. At least it's not that clear. Maybe it's very subtle. I don't know. But I'm suffering more to even to have a voice here in my country than in general. But as long as it's under the umbrella of culture. That provides a level of kind of freedom. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. It's clear that we are still very, very lucky that we are in this area. We work in this area. <laughs> it's still very lucky. When people look at your work, well, I've often read, you know, in artistic statements about your work, that you are a storyteller who works at the intersections of so many disciplines. And yet you are also deeply engaged with with history, but you don't just retell history. You, you in a way, I'm going to use the, the terms that I know from being a child of the hip-hop generation, you remix history. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you, you make it flow in all kinds of new, fantastical, compelling, and unusual ways. Where did it start? Where did this vision that you had of delving into the past and telling it in some ways like no one else does. Thank you. Well, I mean, in the end, I think a big, big part of the, my fascination with this history is my childhood in Saudi Arabia. I lived in Mecca, which is, of course, the... That's incredible. <laughs> the, the place <laughs> or the hub for everyone. And it's, uh, in fact, it was very cosmopolitan place in a very... I mean, okay, very different way when we describe cosmopolitan maybe today. It's tons of tribes that are coming from Africa that long time ago that ended up staying in Mecca, didn't leave after pilgrimage and, and so on. And tons of illegal people who live some here and here and there. I don't think this situation exists today, by the way. But <laughs> back then, everything exists at the same time the society itself is very tribal and very rigid, very strong. In my school, half of the class are Yemenis and the rest are Saudi. Yeah, so how to mix between this situation? And also for me personally, I was a stranger. Mm. Though many Egyptians, of course, coming to stay in Saudi, but of course I'm always considered the Egyptian. And that was almost, I would say, even sort of humiliation. Right. Yeah, sort of. I mean, nothing is clear, but this is the idea. But in any case, the idea that I'm coming, of course, from Egypt, so this is already the background of this, the people that are much more educated, well-educated, most of the teachers and all of this that are in Saudi are coming from Egypt. At the same time, it's an agricultural society and... The other side is very dry, tribal, Bedouin society. So 
adding on this, the mix of this modernity that is coming from America. And I think I always connect everything to this moment, honestly, to this moment of childhood. The idea of this Bedouin that uh, bare feet and uh, basically sometimes he is uh, riding a donkey and he has the Cadillac on front of his place. This mix <laughs> is really fascinating. <laughs> That's, I, I, I love the idea that the way that you saw the world was as things mixing, because in fact, your artistic practice is exactly that, isn't it? You work <laughs> in all kinds of mediums, you know, they, they, and they all mix together. It's, it's quite remarkable, actually. It's painting and wood sculpture and film. And of course, one of the things that is so powerful, compelling, and also surprising about your work is the use of marionettes. And the marionettes are so incredibly beautiful, and yet also sort of otherworldly. You have to tell me, how did you become interested in in marionettes, and why in some ways have they become such an important part of your artistic practice and your work? Um, I was just, I think, very lucky with this idea of the marionettes. I believe it started with reading the book by Amin Malouf, Crusades Through the Arab Eyes. I was starting just to make the research in the beginning, but when it came to this book, the book is more like a guide for me. I didn't use it for the script. I used the book to have, let's say, the choreography of the whole series, meaning that, let's say, to go from Aleppo to Damascus, then to Jerusalem, and so on. That's why I always feel that I'm more like a translator. I translate the topic into a new readable form. This is how I felt it needs to be translated through the the marionettes. Well, the marionettes, of course, it was developed according to the topic. So when we went to the last chapter which is uh, the third chapter of Cabaret Crusades, the marionettes, I was just thinking, how can I make the marionettes? So I found that the, the fourth Crusades, which is really for me the most important, which is the last one for me, it's not the eighth one, but the fourth, was really managed by the Venetians. So I thought, this is the key. So we thought about this, okay, maybe if it's possible to make the marionettes out of the Murano glass. We are connecting this history and it worked. It was extremely not possible for anyone to do it even, but in the end it it happened. And it took me maybe one year to create these marionettes with the mechanism and moving eyes and mouth, but it happened. And then something very interesting also was part of this, which is the book, um, Jose Saramago, yes, Jose Saramago the gospel according to Jesus Christ, where part of this book was describing Jesus Christ speaking to God and asking God, why are we making that fragile as human being? Why this human mind is present inside a body that with one accident ends? Why we're not made out of light? Why this body is that fragile? So this idea always was like part of my mind about this book, Jose Saramago. Okay, so that means the fragility of the glass, when you see all this story made out of the glass and the marionettes and and the Venetia. So 
that combination, let's say, is making the film. The use of, of the Venetian glass is stunning, while And the fact that these puppets move and they interact and you're telling stories through it, it actually kind of take us into history, but out of history at the same time. And I feel like you do that a lot. You take us into history and then you take us out of it. And in a way, the title that you gave to the series, Cabaret Crusades, seems to sort of represent that, right? We're both witnesses to history and we're also sort of interpreters of it, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. The title was also very important when, when I started this. I also feel that it was important to present also my point of view about history that, of course, we I don't believe in history that much, but I love it, okay? I, I know I, I deal with it as human creation, and usually it's the idea of cabaret is like, it's connected to entertainment, connected to, yes, people are sitting, the audience in one place, and the history is played in one other place. And also the idea of the word cabaret also as the gathering for people to speak about politics, so all of this, I believe, also is connecting to the word cavalry crusades. You, you, you say that you don't believe in history, while <laughs> Explain that to me. Talk me through what that means. Yeah, of course. I mean, for the moment, for example, for Venice, I'm trying to make something very much more minimal, let's say, for Venice, but speaks about the incident. Okay, it's the date of 1882, which is the date of the British occupation of Egypt, for example. But when you read the history, we have the history that we have at school, of course, which is what we have. It's not really, they didn't change it that much. But in every part, there is always doubt. Is this person really said that or not? In the end, I don't care really if this really happened or not. The issue is that it became part of the, of the human <laughs> belief around <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe they didn't never happen, but they really believe it now. <laughs> you know, it sort of says something about the power of the story, right? More than the power of history. The story is the thing that drives us, not necessarily the historical fact, because this is a, a theme that emerges in your work, that history isn't fixed, but rather something that is as you just described, malleable and multiple. It's like multiple truths and realities existing at the same time. Yes, yes, of course. Even when, okay, when I started, for example, Cabaret Crusades, Cabaret Crusades is not the first thing that I work with the history, of course, before, but Cabaret Crusades was really, of course, more mature for me to deal with this topic. But when I started, this was also the starting of the revolution in Egypt. Well, then we call it revolution or the Arab Spring or whatever, something. That failed completely, unfortunately. So this is a clear example for something. We all lived in the streets of Egypt. We had hope and we made everything. And in less than one year, they managed to change all the truth. Even for people who lived the event within one year. So when we talk about a history that it's going back to more than a thousand years ago, 
It's very interesting when people like really believe that this is exactly what happened. Nice, but I don't know how, really. I have no idea. Do you think anyone is reliable? <laughs> you know, if narrators are ultimately telling stories and interpretations of what is happening around them, do you think anyone is actually reliable? Well, I mean, of course. I mean, but it's everything is uh, relevant. I don't know. I mean, in the end, it's difficult to say that. Uh, I mean, I'm coming from a, a religious background, and I do have sort of belief in good and bad, and I do have this type of belief. I'm brought up this mm. way. <laughs> It's it's so it's sort of in our DNA, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I mean, part of it because of my study in Mecca, but also other part because of my personality. It happened this way, so I do have belief in this. But in the end, it's how can you translate this into artwork? This is another thing. One of your most recent films, which uses marionettes again, is about the Italian city of Pompeii. And the project is called I Am Hymns of the New Temple. Now, Pompeii is, of course, now a, a bustling and vibrant city in Italy that was once buried during a volcanic eruption, you know, several thousand years ago. Tell me, why did this story capture your imagination? And, and how did you tell the story of Pompeii 2,000 years later? That was also one of, the, one of the most beautiful experiences I had. So it came, of course, with different uh, negotiations. I think it was in the beginning an invitation for me to make a proposal for something. In the end, I said, okay, would love to do a, a project, but a film. And then I said, I don't want to make a film about Pompeii at all, but Pompeii will be the scenography, the backdrop for the film. So what is the film? The film is about the human creation, but from the Greek mythology point of view. And it's the first time I read Greek mythology. I was never interested before in Greek mythology. It's not really my, my area, but this time I was really fascinated by something completely different. When I started to read and find the links between what's happening inside the Greek mythology, from what happened, how did this world constructed from nothingness, from chaos, until it became what we have, not today, but let's say 2,000 years ago. And you, how you see the links between these stories inside and the Islam and Christianity and Judaism and all of these different parallel stories, everything has a link in what we live today. Yeah, so I was also trying to make something more with human beings, but marionettes at the same time. So it becomes more like... It's uh, human, but not complete yet. It's like more like the face doesn't have any expression. It's just one expression and it's just also moving itself, which is something I always loved in the previous films also when I was working with kids or marionettes. And this time in Pompeii, it was more like masks. Everything is covered. When you don't really have drama at all, 
I, it's like really a way to erase drama from everything and just to try to look at the topic as you're saying that the topic and the story itself is becoming the most important and of course everything is becoming like uh, one thing music mask everything is one thing nothing is uh, complementary it's just like the whole thing drama in this time in for Venice Biennial I decided to make it a bit different and I call the film drama so I'm, I think I'm using <laughs> opposite <laughs> let's try I don't know if it will work but <laughs> Wiles' work isn't just about history and narrative, it's also about place. It speaks to its surroundings in a way that it often wouldn't make sense or in some cases wouldn't even be possible in a different location. Nowhere is this truer than with Desert X. This was a project where multiple artists were invited to make installations in the Al-Ula Desert in Saudi Arabia. Central to Wilde's piece is a projection of prized black camels in negative colors pointing skyward against the dunes. It's unusual and it's stunning. It was also something very, very minimal. I'm always like, I like to say minimal because this is not part of my work, but when I make it, I'm so proud. <laughs> Wild Shoki is by nature a maximalist. So when you are minimalist, it's like a special day. It's like a special occasion. I totally get that. So I also that was another project somewhere I was invited to to try to make some anyway, I was always also because of my background about this golf and nomad uh, society and all of this. That was always part of my search and interest. I went to Abu Dhabi. Uh, I can't remember the date, really. I believe that was maybe more than 10 years ago or something. I went to Abu Dhabi and I made a film of herds of black camels. These black camels are extremely expensive and people like really some sheiks, in not only in Abu Dhabi, but in United Arab Emirates, in Saudi, in the Gulf in general, this is like wealth. One camel can worth up to maybe one million dollar or something. Wow. Not in um, certain camels. Black camels are rare and they're like incredibly beautiful. And sometimes they just have these herds just walking and like this and they film it. And so so I, I just decided just to film the camels as like a different form of beauty and wealth. And it has many layers in it, just the camels by itself. Anyway. These black camels, particularly, are coming originally from Saudi. Let's say they import these camels from Saudi, and then they grow in United Arab Emirates, and it becomes like a sort of like different types of showing wealth, okay? Showing wealth. When I went to Saudi, I decided to take this film and project it on the mountain, very, very large scale, and then invert the image. But in any case, it's just like it was, again, a way to try to bring back this homage of the camels that came originally from Saudi to Abu Dhabi to bring them back into the mountain of Saudi in Al-Ula. You brought the Bedouin nomadic caravan history 
of those deserts back to the desert through images. Yeah, yeah, it's something really. There are some TV channels, for example, in United Arab Emirates, just like you look at the camels walking in the desert. That's it. And there are sometimes you just some type this Bedouin music on it, and you just look at this. It's interesting to see that. <laughs> That's fascinating. But also, like, people want to connect with something that is in their, I guess, in their kind of historical, spiritual DNA and soul, that this connects them back to the things that are essential, especially when you think about the Gulf as being a place that's now shiny and built up and, and, yes. and over modern. And it could be, you know, it's Abu Dhabi or Dubai or, or wherever, but it could be anywhere in a way. And it's interesting how people return to the things that really speak to them, define them. Sure, sure. Tell their story. Well, this has been such a pleasure. And just before we sort of wrap up, I have to say that I, you know, I, I, I feel so privileged to be able to speak to people like you and and I find it so incredibly heartening and inspirational. And as I hear you speak, there's um in your voice there's this um there's two things I feel. There's an incredible passion to what you do and an energy, but also a sense of desire to explore and to find things and connections that haven't been found before a kind of a a kind of an urgency in your voice and in the way you describe your work what is going on in, in wild shoki's soul that is driving <laughs> both passion and urgency well i i i yes this is true i'm fascinated by i don't know i mean uh, part of cabaret crusades for example when we were making I was trying to build, which is, this is the second part, for example, when I was building the marionettes out of the ceramic, I was invited to make this in a city in, uh, in France called Aubin, close to Marseille. Well, okay, again, with the research, I found that this city has history in making something called Santons. Santons is a figurine like this size that they put inside the churches that tells the nativity stories of Mary, you know, this uh, whole uh, stories. So it was fascinating. Okay, let's try to work with these artisans. Working with artisans for me is extremely important. If I find good artisans, that they are really connected to history and connected to certain type of folklore or to certain type of part of the history. So part of this history, which is pure European Christian, history, if you can make them build marionettes instead of this figurine in ceramic that tells the story of the Crusades, but from the Arab point of view, like shifting everything, while with this traditional Christian European method, artisans, I believe you can reach something always different, like with this uh, mixing. The passion comes from connecting things together. So it's a translation. Well, I wonder if you would tell me about a joy or a meanness that came to you as an unexpected visitor. I was in Istanbul. Okay, very fascinated by, I was reading a lot in Sufism during this time in Istanbul, that was a long time ago, during my war, the cave, that was 2004. 
and during this time a lot of reading in Sufis, of course main thing was Jalal al-Din Rumi and I started to believe really the, of the idea to be, they call it what, like a receptive, like that you don't take actions basically, <laughs> that you just follow the signs. When I finished, it was on seven months in Istanbul, I decided to go visit a place called Diyarbakir in Turkey. I went to the airport, I was just waiting for the flight and waiting inside the gate and then the guy told me that I missed the flight. Okay, believing in the signs, I said, okay, that's a sign, I don't have to go. I went back to the place and then I asked the woman, what is the first flight to anywhere in Turkey? And she told me about this place. I went to this other place and... The first day in the morning, I went and I said, okay, guys, where am I? What is this? What is happening? What is the most famous thing here? They said it's the shrine of Jalal din Rumi. That is so beautiful. While we end up at the places where we need to be. I am so privileged to have been in conversation with you on this being human. Thank you, Wael Shoki, for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to This Being Human. We'll include some links to Wild Shoki's work in the show notes. This Being Human is produced by Antica Productions in partnership with TVO. Our senior producer is Kevin Sexton. Our associate producer is Emily Morantz. Our executive producers are Laura Regeer and Stuart Cox. Mixing and sound design by Phil Wilson. Our associate audio editor is Cameron McIver. Original music by Boombox Sound. Shago Yeg Tajvidi is TVO's managing editor of digital video and podcasts. Lori Few is the executive for digital at TVO. This Being Human is generously supported by the Aga Khan Museum. Through the arts, the Aga Khan Museum sparks wonder, curiosity, and understanding of Muslim cultures and their connection with other cultures. The museum wishes to thank the Hillary and Galen Weston Foundation for their generous support of This Being Human. <laughs>